or more, you probably know the rather infamous name of Pastor Darren Fred. Um, Pastor Darren Fred has been on staff here for a long time. About eight years ago, he, he stepped into a role of one of our other campus uh, churches' senior pastor role. So we're one church with, with multiple campuses. And we, one of our campuses is Timberline Old Town. And Pastor Darren has been leading that for like eight years. And we're, we're just thrilled because we get an opportunity for him to be here with us today along with the Timberline Old Town Band. So would you please welcome Pastor Darren Fred. Hi. Eight years. Eight years. Seems like nine. We, we uh, canceled our services down in Old Town today, and our congregation is here, and they're just lovely. And Old Town, this is, this is uh, mom and dad and the rest of your brothers and sisters, and this is Old Town Church, so get to know each other. Look at you. All free and everything. Huh? You're free. Happy Independence Day weekend, everybody. You're free. Yeah. And so a man on Long Island ate 61 hot dogs in like 10 minutes. Thank you, Founding Fathers. For an expansion, such a, an expansive vision that would allow a little boy named Joey Chestnut to sit in this land of freedom as a youngster and say, what will I do with my freedom? I know, when I grow up, I will eat competitively while people watch me. <laughs> and we did. I watched him. I, I, I love to watch competitive hot dog eating. There's also competitive salad, but I digress. I wonder if, Je- I wonder if uh, Joey Chestnut thought he would be there. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> Eating hot dogs on TV. <clears throat> how do I get, how do we get here? How'd you get here? You may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Thank you, talking heads. How, How did I get here? In 1978, my family loaded a grain truck with furniture and loaded a long green and white Dodge maxi van with people I was forced to live with because of family. And... We left North Dakota and moved to a place outside of Windsor, Colorado. Windsor! Love it. Ross Subdivision. Is Ross Subdivision represented here today? Anybody from Ross? Okay. <laughs> and when, when we got here, when we got here the, to the house that my dad had purchased, we found that the people before us who had lived there before us had left a big gray cat named Louie and a goose. <laughs> The goose had no name. They just left them. Do you get it? Like, now we bought a house and we have a cat and a goose. We came to Colorado largely because of economics. I was 12 years old and just hitting my stride, pushing full five feet tall. And because of economics, we moved from North Dakota. Just all nine of us. And because we moved, 
because they decided we moved. I ended up with a different life and a different wife and a different automobile. And I'm here now because of that. How did you get here? We end up in places because of economics, because of disaster, because of other people's decisions. We end up with lives. The trajectory of our lives are, are changed because of somebody else's. It's fascinating. And we don't know. Here we are. It's like, what, what of my life is because of what I did and what somebody else did? And this story today is that. It's, it's a story about people who have to move because of economics and things and, and, little, and kids who have to move with their parents and so forth. And, uh, and this, what was random? And uh, what, what, was, what was God's will for us? Like we're people of faith, right? We're spiritual people. What is, what is God doing? In fact, when you meet someone, do you, this happens a lot, right? You meet someone and they say, what do you what do? You do? Right? And that's, you have, on the back of your outline, there's some blanks and some sentences and stuff, and there are places for you to write. And, and the first, first sentence, number one, is the question I, I ask, what does God do? I, God, I know God created the earth and humans, and I know the, the story God sent it, the sun, but what's God doing now? Like, he doesn't watch competitive eating. What is, there's a lot of time for God. Like, what should I do today? Hmm. What does God do? Do you think that's a blasphemous question? I just, but, but what I'm getting is, we, we make these claims about God. We, we've heard these things about God. We've been told, when this happens, that's God doing this. So we say, God blessed me. We say, God opened the door. We say, God closed the door. We say, God gave me a parking place. I'm at the, we say things like, uh, God put a train in front of me uh, after the meeting. And, that's, and I was just sitting there in the middle of Fort Collins in this long train. What, what, what are they thinking? And so I'm like, God, what's this all about? What are you saying through this train? And I imagine if God could talk, if God had my personality, he, God would say, I had nothing to do with it. It's just a train, man. It's just, I didn't even realize that it was until you said something. I was over here. And what is it? God took, God cursed. Now, if I say, God put a, God closed a door. Or God bless me, or God is testing me. Does that make it true? We're trying to figure these things out. Furthermore, if a character in the Bible says, God is afflicting me, does that make it true? Some awful things happen. And some really good things happen. Today is a story about people that had things happen to them, bad things and good things. It's a story about a farmer and two widows. It's a story about a lady named Ruth. It's called Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It's called the Old Testament because it's really, really old. It's so old, the Old Testament. It has to take a lot of medicine, and it gets up a lot at night. The Old Testament is so old. <laughs> I think that's funny to me. <laughs> okay, Je- Old Testament, Ruth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And, and, and thank you, I love it for having an album called Joshua Judges Ruth so that I can, it can help me to remember, right? 
Ruth, the story of Ruth, I want to tell you this story. About something that happened a long time ago and far away. But if you, if you pay attention, it's stuff that happens all the time. Once upon a time, when everyone did whatever seemed right in their own minds, there was a man in Bethlehem named Elimelech. His wife was called Naomi. They had two sons called Malon and Kilion. The names they gave their boys meant sickness and consumption. Whoa, what should we call him? How about sickness? This seems like a good name. If we have another one, let's call him consumption. That's what you call foreshadowing in literature. When the storyteller says they name their kids sickness and consumption, you know there's darkness coming to this story. So we brace for it. These were hard times, grapes of wrath hard times, wild west hard times. Economically, socially, morally, ecologically, dust bowl, famine. So dad and mom and the boys headed south by southeast to Moab, not Utah. Moab on the other side of the Dead Sea. Moab. This is not an upwardly mobile move for the family. This is not like moving from North Dakota to Colorado. This is more like moving from Colorado to North Dakota. <laughs> if, I may, if I may say so. I'm from there. I love it. I love those people. You can get a good caramel roll in North Dakota. You don't even know what that is. You think you do, but you don't. And I could talk about this for a long time. So they make this desperate move. This is survival. What is God doing? What I see are people doing what they got to do, right? So they go into this place, and it's, it's a terrible move. Because it's, it, 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 oh, if I could tell you the stories. Great tension, ethnic tension. So they get there, and Elimelech dies. Dad dies. And then his sons get married. Both of them, they, they, they marry two girls called Orpah and Ruth, and they're Moabite girls, and that's a problem. Then, but then both sons die. We're one paragraph into this story, and almost everybody died. And we are not told why they died. Awful things happen. And you see people that it way too much, way too much pain. And it's like, what did they do? What does God do? And, and three, we were left with three widows just sitting there looking at each other after the funeral. So Naomi just decides to go home back to Bethlehem and her daughter-in-laws would say, well, we'll go with you. And she says, that'd be a fool's errand to go with me. There's darkness all around me. But Ruth was stubborn and Ruth loved Naomi so much. She loved her mother-in-law. And she says, no. And this famous quote she says, where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. I'll live where you live and die where you die. Your God will be my God. One time I was talking to the governor before he was the governor. Because I talked to governors, you know. Before they're governors. Afterward, they just, nothing. He did a meet and greet, he did a meet and greet at our place and I asked him, why are you a Democrat? 
I'll just let that sit there for a minute. <laughs> Look, I could talk right now. But I'm not going to. Why are you? I just thought, what would a kid ask him? Why are you a Democrat? And he says, well, my mom was a Democrat and she was awesome. I, I was so fond of her. I love my mom. So that's why I'm a Democrat. If she was a Republican, I probably would be a Republican. <laughs> And it's, it's wonderful and, and frightening that we don't make these political and religious decisions necessarily because of great introspection and thorough reasoning. David Plotz, who writes for Slate, said, Religion grows mostly out of relationship. I love Jesus because my grandma Irma Swanson loved Jesus and she was so wonderful and my mom loves Jesus and she's so wonderful. It's like, well, if they love him, you know, do you make people want to love Jesus? Do I? Anyway, so Naomi said, come on then. And they get back to Bethlehem and after all, after all the awfulness. And the people who knew her before see her and, and they say, Naomi? Is that you? Naomi? And, and Naomi says this awful thing. Like when someone's really bitter. Like it can get scary even talk to him, you know, because they're bitter. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The story of Ruth is a story of bitterness. Mara, call me Mara. It means bitter. Bitterness. So she says God did this to her. What do you do with that? Story of bitterness. And some of our stories are too, and people we know. And so we try to figure it out, and we assign responsibility, and we say, you know, they shouldn't have moved to Moab. You know, she shouldn't have married that guy. He drank too much. They, they, didn't, they didn't have enough strict regulation for their kids. They, they, he wasn't disciplined enough. He's lazy. He's got these dreams. He just... And we, we tried it. She was too ambitious. We tried to figure it out. Why did it happen to them? Why did it happen to me? And then after, after it all, it's like, what's God doing? And then when, what was God doing when everything broke? Call me bitter. It's over. You feel it? We're at another funeral for a family that's had too many funerals and we don't even know what to say to them. So, they're back in Bethlehem, but they need food and it's the harvest. So Ruth does what poor people did and do. She goes out to the barley field. It's the harvest. And she follows the harvesters around for bits of grain left behind. How did I get here? Ruth's out hustling for scraps. How did I get here? And then the owner of the field shows up, and his name is Boaz. And he's, he's quite a bit older, but he sees her. He sees her over there because she's from out of town and she's good looking. And he, but he sees her and he is moved and he says, hello, my name is Boaz. She says, hello, my name is Ruth. He said, I saw you in the field and I want you to know if I have food you have food is there anything more basic and beautiful than when someone who is bitter and hustling for the scraps 
has someone say, I see you, and I will help you. Is there anything more beautiful than just sharing food with people who need food? The story of Ruth is a story of, of kindness after bitterness. You have that word there, chesed. That's a beautiful word. Say it, chesed. Do that, chesed, chesed, chesed. It's beautiful. Kindness. Is there anything more basic and beautiful than kindness when it's been all bitterness and we don't know how to fix everything, okay? But the best thing about awful things is that awful things create space for kindness and good things. You know what I mean? Like, to, this required some scarcity and some bitterness for kindness to enter. Uh, the people who love me and the people who maybe just even kind of like me have been the best to me when I've been the most bitter. It, it's weird. It, it's, like, it's like science. Negative and positive, it creates a space for, for kindness. Now, and by the way, Jimmy Buffett said, it doesn't take any longer to be kind than it does to be a jerk. And you don't have to clean up a mess afterward. Now, what Ruth doesn't know about Boaz yet is that Boaz is what is called her kinsman redeemer, which is to say he is a relative of her late husband's family. There is land in the family which would have gone to her husband, but he is dead. So now that land goes to Naomi, the widow of her father-in-law, and by extension, Ruth. And Boaz has the privilege and maybe the obligation as a, as a relative to buy the land and marry the widow. What a country. You marry, if your brother's if your sister-in-law's, if your brother dies, you marry your sister-in-law and, and carry on his name. Now, the problem there, and, and he would do this, all right? But there's a hitch in the plan because he has a, a he has there's a closer relative, okay? But but Ruth goes home and Naomi explains all this real estate law to 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 Ruth and and she, and then she hatches a plan. She says, "All right, Boaz will be threshing grain tonight. Get yourself all gussied up. Wait for him to get half drunk. Sneak in there after dark and lay down at his feet." Lay down, lay down at his feet, kids, and uncover his feet. This is ancient hey, Sadie Hawkins stuff here. And this is, and so she, so the storyteller says that Boaz ate and drank that night and was in good spirits. Boaz was buzzed. The story of Ruth and the heritage of Jesus has a, our hero getting a buzz, but that's another matter entirely. And he goes to sleep, and he goes to sleep, and something wakes him up, and it's dark, and his feet are cold. And he looks at his feet, and there's a girl laying there. That girl. And she says, cover me with your robe. And Boaz gulps real hard. And this story is getting very racy. And if there are children in the room, perhaps we should cover their ears. Cover me with your robe is a euphemism. Are you speaking to me metaphorically, Ruth? Or literally? 
And this is the truth, what this meant in ancient culture, covering me with your robe. It might mean let's get married, or it might mean let's get busy. So Boaz, he's a gentleman. Boaz is a gentleman. And it's a beautiful thing when people who are in powerful positions don't use their power to indulge their cravings and ambitions. Do you have power? Yes, you do. Are you vulnerable? Sometimes. But we all have moments of power and moments of vulnerability. And how beautiful is it when people who have the power choose not to exploit, who say no to their own cravings and ambitions. God help us when we have power. And Boaz says, you just stay right there. I'll leave you there. You've been so kind to this old man. And Ruth says, you've been, no, you, you've been kind to me. And, and Boaz says, no, you're kind. And she says, you're kinder. And he says, you're kinder-er. And they argue about that a little. Because they've been kind. So Boaz would buy the land, but there's this closer relative who has right of first refusal, as we said. So he goes to this feller and he says, see, there's this place, there's this piece of land, Elimelech, Elimelech owned, but he... But he died and his sons died and you're the guy who has right, first right, right of first refusal. So what do you say? Do you want the land? And the feller says, yeah, I guess I want it. And then Boaz says, oh, wait, right, wait, right. Uh, there's a girl and a goose and a, and a big gray cat that come with it. And the guy says, yeah, I already got a girl. And geese are, eesh, geese get weird. So the guy says, no. And the guy says, you take it. And so, so this, this aging bachelor marries this widow who he took care of, who he would not exploit. And they, and they get married and they have a child. And the child's name is Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. King David and King David one night stood up and told that story. And he said, that's how I got here. <laughs> and that's the story no fire in the sky no one gets raised from the dead no talking animals, no miracles no one gets smote by God just a story of things happening to people, awful things and good things and a story of bitterness which led to kindness and a story of people doing what needed to be done after the awfulness like our stories a story of people who ended up places partly because of what they did and partly what other people did Because of what happened. Some of it was their doing and some of it was someone else's. My father-in-law used to say, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And I used to want to say, you sound like a bumper sticker. But it was true. It was true. There's bitterness in the world creating space for kindness. There's mad, mean people. But they're not mad and mean all the time. And we don't know how they got there. We don't know how hard it was for them. I've been to funerals of families who had way too many funerals. There are widows hustling for scraps, and that should not be. I was in the grocery store the other day buying hot dogs and buns and potato salad. And I looked next to me, and there was a lady there with one package of Top Ramen. And I, I, I tried not to look, but I kept looking. And she had two dimes between her thumb and her forefinger. And I thought, what is going on? Somebody buying dinner with two dimes. We look all around us. 
And there are things that are not, they are not right. In our families, in our town, there's too many stupid potholes. The trains come through at the wrong time. This light stays a minute and a half. There are children disappearing. There are people in this world who can't get a safe drink of water on a hot day. You know, and we're like, this, this is not right. Somebody's got to do something about this. What are they doing up there in Washington? So Washington makes a program, and it makes half of us mad as Yosemite Sam. So they get scared and sit on their hands because they don't know what to do. And we say, what are they doing at that church? What are they doing in this town? We need a program. Somebody needs to fix that in Jewish in, the, in Jewish culture, there's a concept, last line in your bulletin, it's right there, tikkun olam. And what it means literally translated is world repair. Repair. We're all waiting for God to do something. We're all waiting for the repairman to show up. We're all saying, what does God do? Maybe the question should be, what do I do? That's the last line in your bulletin. What do I do? And there's this idea in the Jewish concept of this that we all have responsibility to help repair the world. How long does it take to break something? Like, I I broke a door at my house. I don't want to talk about it. I broke a door. It took me like uh, uh, two seconds. And I'm like on my third day trying to repair it. You don't repair things real fast all the time. But bitterness creates space for kindness. And we are the repairmen and we are the repair women. What is in front of you? There's work to be done. There's work to be done. Let's pray. We have found ourselves, God, in shotgun shacks. We have found ourselves in good places and beautiful places and awful places. We have found ourselves at weddings and funerals. Oh. And sometimes we say you're blessing us and sometimes we say you're testing us and sometimes we say, what are you doing? We just bring you our bitterness. We all have it. Pray that we would be people who would allow kindness to enter our bitterness and not to stiff arm it. We know what we're doing when we walk into the rooms. We know we're pushing people away. Lord, I pray that we will be the folks who are not scared of bitterness, but when that we will create doors and windows and ladders for your kingdom to come, the hesed, the hesed of heaven coming into bitterness. I pray for people who've suffered too much. Breathe into us your spirit. Amen. That was real nice. That's real nice. Sam, Colby, Matt, Juliana, Jen and Andrew, Sean. And Timberline, thank you. There's work to be done. The service begins now. Go do some repairing. Oh, 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 oh,